Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray. And Lord, we do. Our praises, they rise to you because you are worthy. You alone are God over all. And so, Lord, as we join our voices with that great chorus of the angelic realm and all the saints that have gone before, we're so thankful to get to be a part of that number whose praises rise to you. And so now, through your word and by your Holy Spirit who is in this place, we pray that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds. Let us leave this room different because we've heard from you. Let us leave this room different because we have had an encounter with you. Let us leave this experience different because we are empowered by your Holy Spirit to be different, to be the people of God who make the world a better place. So we ask your blessing now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you're in the room, the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 809, page 809. And today we're going to talk about the greatest sermon ever preached. And I'll tell you, it's not one of mine. (laughs) In fact, it's not even close. But this is a sermon that so many people have heard about, have read, have referenced. The greatest golden rule comes from this sermon. But this is the sermon that Jesus preached near the beginning of his ministry. You know, he kind of based his ministry in Capernaum, and not far from Capernaum at all, really, there on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, there's a hill that is traditionally believed to be the place where Jesus sat down to teach his disciples, and he delivered what became the most paradigm-shifting, world-changing, most famous sermon in all of human history that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was the teacher. We call him teacher. His disciples called him teacher, and and we recognize him as the greatest teacher the world has ever known. Here at First Baptist Church, we deeply value teachers, and we deeply value educators, and so many of you in this room, either out here or back here, either have or are currently poured your life out for others that they might become everything that God wants them to be and you do that by teaching. And we know that teaching is, is giving information, but it's so much more than that, isn't it? Well, Jesus, we would all confess together, is the greatest teacher the world has ever known. His teachings were powerful 2,000 years ago, and his teachings remain powerful today. For those of us who went to the Holy Land, it was such an incredible moment when we came to this place called the Mount of Beatitudes, and there they've built a church on the Mount of Beatitudes. It's got eight sides to the church because there are eight Beatitudes. And we were there overlooking the Sea of Galilee with the Golden Heights just across the way in this beautiful picturesque setting, and we were able to sit down on the side of that hill And we were able to hear again Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And we were reminded of a couple things. Number one, we were reminded of the power of Jesus' words as they were delivered in that setting so many years ago. But even more than that, we were reminded of the power of Jesus' words as they impact our lives 
today. Aren't we thankful to have a Savior whose teachings were not only life-shaping two millennia ago, but they remain life-shaping today? And so we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to give you this theme this morning. Jesus taught his disciples, and Jesus teaches us. Jesus taught his disciples, and Jesus teaches us. You know, when we got to the place where the Sermon on the Mount was delivered, I think the thing that was so striking to all of us in our group was this was the first place where we really got to see the nations converge. So just as we sat on the side of that hill and heard this teaching yet again, so also did groups from all over the world do the exact same thing. And I got to listen in as one particular group. I don't know where they were from, but they weren't from the United States of America. And I don't know what language they were speaking, but it wasn't English. But I got to kind of hang back and listen to their pastor guide read to them Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7 in their heart language. And though I didn't understand the words, I didn't understand them at all, I understood as he stood there with his Bible open and he shared again these great words of Jesus. And as they listened overlooking the Sea of Galilee, it was a picture of what heaven's going to be like. That heaven will be this great mosaic made up of representatives from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, all worshiping our God through Jesus Christ our Lord, all with open hearts to receive his teaching and to be transformed by the renewing of our minds as his Holy Spirit allows us to be. It was this beautiful picture of what we can look forward to. So as we listen to Jesus' teaching, not only do we look back, not only do we look at our lives now, but we also look ahead to what will be as every single promise that he has ever made will come true. Look with me at the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to start, and we're going to kind of skip around in the Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to start with verse 1 of chapter 5. And again, our theme is Jesus taught his disciples, and Jesus teaches us. Matthew is a saved tax collector, and he writes these things as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, saying this, Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Our first point today is this. Jesus' teaching is available. Jesus' teaching is available. Jesus' teaching was available at this time. Just before the Sermon on the Mount begins, Matthew records that Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And so what is Matthew telling us? He's telling us that Jesus' teaching was there where the people were. Jesus went to where the people were. He went all throughout Galilee. He went across the Jordan. He went down into Jerusalem and Judea. And what did he do while he was there? He taught. His teaching was available to them. Some of us have gotten to stand in some of the synagogues where he taught. 
And we've gotten to see some of the places where, for example, on the southern steps of the temple, he very likely sat down and taught the great truths of Almighty God to those who would listen. His teaching was available. He taught publicly. In fact, when they came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 55. He said, day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. So Jesus taught publicly so that all could hear the good news of the kingdom of God, which was at hand. Jesus' teaching was available, and Jesus' teaching is available still today. The best-selling book in all of human history is this book, the Holy Bible. And so I want to ask you a question. How many Bibles do you own? Notice I didn't ask you, do you own a Bible? If you don't, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, come talk to me. We're going to give you one. We want the Word of God in your hands, okay? But you can also, I'm sure you have an iPhone, you can download the Bible for free. It's called the YouVersion Bible app. And then there's a bunch of other apps, too, that you can access for free because God's people know that there is power in God's Word. We want you to have it. So my question to us is not necessarily do you own a Bible, but how many do you own? I was looking around my office, looking around my house, I mean, multiple Bibles. I can remember growing up, you know, it was a thing. We'd go to relatives' houses, and that Bible would be their big old Bible. You know, the family Bible. This is the one everybody fights over. Isn't it great to fight over a Bible after somebody dies? Well, anyway, it's got all the records of the family in it, but they would be sitting there, prominently displayed in the sitting area of the home because homes used to have sitting areas. Y'all remember that? Here's the problem. It really doesn't matter how many Bibles you own if you never crack it open and read it. It really doesn't matter how nice your family Bible is, and it's got all the records of your family in it, if you never open the thing and say, Lord, through your word, speak to my heart. Change me. Jesus' teaching was available then. Jesus' teaching is even more available now. Billions of Bibles available all around the world. Now, we're still working. Christians are still working to translate God's Word into languages of people groups around the world because there are still languages in which the Bible has not yet been translated, and people are working diligently to learn those languages and to translate God's Word so that people can read God's Word in their heart language. And we love and support those ministries and those missionaries. Wycliffe Bible Translators uh, is one of those ministries that we are particularly connected to as we try to get God's Word into people's heart language so that they can hear the teaching of Almighty God and they can be transformed. And chances are good you've likely seen videos of people receiving copies of God's Word in their language and the frenzy of people receiving the Word. And sometimes we treat it so flippantly. But this is the record of God speaking to us. And yes, it's thousands of years old, but it is as current as today, and it always will be. So Jesus' teaching is available. He sat down to teach them. And I told you last week, and I want to echo this again. The American Bible Society does a study every year called the State of the Bible. And they interview a bunch of people about their Bible interaction. And, and as you can imagine, uh, interaction with God's Word is up and down. Right around March and April 2020, 
Bible sales skyrocketed and interaction with God's Word became incredibly more popular. Do you remember what was happening around March and April of 2020? All of a sudden, we needed God's Word. I remember another time when God's Word became very popular. It was around September of 2001. Do you all remember that time? God's Word became exceedingly popular then. Well, then we got comfortable because we got past 9-11 and we, we got past the pandemic and, and we didn't need God's Word as much anymore. Well, every year they do a study of interaction with God's Word. And you know one thing they found this year? They found, and it's going to shock you, they found that people who read God's Word regularly had more hope. You imagine? They had more hope. God speaks to us through His Word. Jesus' teaching remains available, and, and as we take it in, it doesn't just inform us, but it transforms us, and it gives us hope, strength for today, and bright hope for tomorrow. I want you to invite you to look with me. If you're in the Pew Bible, you're going to need to turn the page. Now let's look at chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Jesus is speaking, and he says this, and this is really, this paragraph is the theme of the Sermon on the Mount. Here it is. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Our second point today is this. Jesus' teaching is authoritative. Jesus' teaching is authoritative. He says to them, do not think that I have come to undo everything that God has communicated over the course of all of human history. No, I haven't come to undo it. I've not come to abolish it. I've come to what? To fulfill it. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. And so he doesn't take God's word and discard it. Now, he fulfills some of the ceremonial portions of it so that we don't have to do those sorts of things. He is our perfect sacrifice who died once for all so that we no longer need a priest and we no longer need a human being to make intercession for us. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, whose death on the cross was once and for all sufficient to cover over all of our sin. And so we stand in Jesus Christ. But one of the things that he's getting ready to do as he goes through this Sermon on the Mount is he's going to say repeatedly, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And so, for example, he said, you have heard that it was said, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you, and, and this is paraphrased, you must not harbor bitterness and hatred in your heart. He would say, you've been taught not to commit adultery, but I tell you not to lust after someone who is not your biblical husband or wife. You've been taught not to divorce without a certificate, but I tell you to persevere in your marriage with an exception possible in cases of sexual immorality. 
He said, you've been taught not to break an oath. And again, I'm paraphrasing here. But you've been taught not to break an oath that you swear. But I tell you to forget the oath and simply do what you say you will do. You've been taught to exact appropriate revenge on those who harm you. But I tell you that vengeance doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. You've been taught to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What was he teaching? He was teaching that the kingdom of God is different from the rest of the world. And those who are members of the kingdom of God live life differently. He was also communicating his authority. He's saying, you have heard God's law interpreted in this way. I'm here to tell you what God was really saying. And notice that unlike many teachers of today who would say, let me tell you what God really meant when he said these things, Jesus did not weaken the law. He magnified it. He made its standard even higher. It's pretty easy not to murder. How many of you would agree with that statement? I've been living 42 years, haven't murdered. Don't intend to. I don't know how many years I'm going to get. Thou shalt not murder. We might be tempted to check the box and say, I got that one. You're welcome, Lord. I'm living up to your standard. But, but Jesus magnifies that law and says, no, it's, it's not just about the outworking of that act in your life. No, it's, it's about your heart. It's about what would lead you to commit that act. And just as God knew David's heart, so also does he know our hearts. And so what is Jesus doing? He's magnifying the law to the extent that it is not just God looking at the record of what we do. It's God looking into our hearts to see what's really there. Same thing with adultery. He said, you've, you've been told not to commit adultery. Again, you can check that box. You can avoid the temptation. But what does Jesus do? He goes to the heart. And he said, if you've, if you've looked with lustful intent at somebody who's not your biblical husband or wife, you have transgressed this commandment. What's he saying? He's saying God is looking at what's going on in here. And this is God himself saying this, the second person of the Holy Trinity to whom we sang earlier in our service, we adore thee, we adore thee. The Word of God made flesh to dwell among us is communicating this truth. And, and what does he do? He magnifies the law to a degree that would make any honest human being come to this conclusion. I can't keep God's law. I am in need of a Savior. And so Jesus comes not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And in fulfilling it, he magnifies it to show us that it's so much deeper than we think. Think about the rich young ruler who came up to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus has a little interplay with him about why do you call me good, and that's a different sermon for a different day, but... But what's happening? The rich young ruler is trying to say, what boxes do I need to check to get into heaven? 
when everything's said and done. You know, I've been able to uh, amass great wealth here. I'd like to go ahead and amass some great wealth for the afterlife. So Jesus lists some of the commandments. And what does the rich young man say? Well, all these I've kept. All these I've kept. What a dangerous statement. And if you right now, hearing the commandments again, even if you're just listening to don't murder and don't commit adultery, and if you're feeling like, well, I've done pretty good there, recognize that God is reading your heart and the intention, the sinful intention that would lead to those sinful acts. You know, it's possible to sin in deed, but it's also, to sin, also possible to sin in thought. And the Bible tells us that God knows every thought. In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, Before a word is on my lips, behold, O Lord, you know it completely. So God reads our hearts. And so we affirm together with the knowledge that God reads our hearts that Romans 3.23 is absolutely true. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And do you know who all includes? All of us. We've sinned and we are in need of a Savior. Jesus taught with authority, and people were amazed that Jesus taught with authority. But his authority came not simply from the words that he said. His authority came from his being. His authority came from who he is. So I've shared with you before, but I want to share it with you again. One of my favorite quotes in all of Christian history comes from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. In my copy of Mere Christianity, this quote is on pages 55 and 56. But there are so many people who would say, I affirm that Jesus is a great teacher, in fact, the greatest teacher the world has ever known. But that's it. Well, C.S. Lewis is going to remind us Jesus didn't leave that option open to us. He says this, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. C.S. Lewis gets it right. We can't look at Jesus and say he's merely the source of the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. No, his teaching is authoritative because of who he is. He is the Word made flesh to dwell among us. We behold his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. His teaching is authoritative. Well, now I'll turn the page 
And look with me at chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. Jesus says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Our third point. Jesus' teaching is life-altering. Jesus' teaching is life-altering. Notice what he says. He says that you will recognize his people, those who are truly speaking on behalf of Almighty God, by their fruit, by what emanates from their lives. Because Jesus didn't come simply to give us knowledge. You know, it's easy for some people to take knowledge and transmit it without being transformed by that which they transmit. And I think it's easy for us to look around, even in recent history, and see many people who have proposed to stand for God, and their lives don't match their lips. And for all of us, who take up the mantle to teach God's Word, the Bible is very clear. Not many of us should do that because we're judged with greater strictness. Why? Because what are we saying? We're saying God has said this, and it means this, and it's, it's meaningful for my life and for your life, and we ought to change because of it. Of course God meets us right where we are in Jesus Christ, but He loves us too much to leave us there. And so we come to Christ not to stay where we are, but to be transformed to where God wants us to be. And anyone who would stand to teach God's Word, well, there's an honesty that is required, but it is an honesty not only of that which is transmitted, it's an honesty of the transformative work of, of Christ in me. Because if I'm not being transformed, then what would I expect out of you? And so Jesus says you'll recognize them by their fruit. There are wolves in sheep's clothing, which is why, incidentally, I will always tell you, no matter what I say, Compare it to God's Word, and if at any point I say, I know God's Word said this, but, but this is what I'm telling you, fire me, please. Get rid of me. Run me out of town. And find you a pastor who will not tell you what he thinks, but what God has said. That's my goal. People ask me all the time, what do you think about this? And I say, you didn't, you didn't call me to First Baptist Church to tell you what I think. Who cares what I think? My wife and kids don't even care what I think. You called me here to tell you what God said. So that's what I'm going to do. Jesus' teaching is not just information. It is, it is for transformation. It is life-altering. But there's a catch, and here comes the fourth point. To give you the fourth point and to give you the catch, let me read to you chapter 7, verses 21 through 27. Still Jesus speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Our fourth and final point today is this. We must obey him. We must obey him. Jesus' teaching is available, it is authoritative, and it is life-altering, but it is not going to change your life until you step across the line of faith and begin to obey Jesus. He expects that. In Luke's gospel, he's recorded as saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet not do what I say? And so there's an expectation on behalf of Jesus from Jesus, that as we receive his teaching, we would take it and do something with it. And that, that something is that we would obey him. The way we say that here at First Baptist Church is that we would trust Jesus enough to follow him because that's where the transformation happens. Now, I can, I can hear Jesus' teaching all day long. I can read the Bible all day long. But until I surrender my life to his lordship in my life, to say, Jesus, wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever you want, I'll do. Then his power won't be revealed in the transformation that only he can bring in my life. So my prayer for us as we go from this place into a world that is building upon a foundation of shifting sand. Have you noticed that? Always something new. Always some new idea that's going to fix it, and it never does. May we be the people who build our lives upon the firm foundation of Jesus Christ, the solid rock upon which we stand, and we invite everybody else to come to Jesus and do the same. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you, and we thank you that you loved us enough to communicate. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.